Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on bluenile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. We had a rattled middle age, all right, but I swear to you we were respectable in youth. There was nothing so stuffy as the lives of small-time theatricals in those days, and South London was a ghetto of chorus girls and boys and whatnot. In the semis behind the dusty privet hedges, they rested between engagements, sitting on a piece of the leatherette suite in the sitting room, where the fumed oak sideboard contained a single bottle of sweet sherry, and half a dozen dusty glasses stood on a tarnished silver tray inscribed, To a great little trooper, from the Merry Martins, Frinton on Sea, 1919. That was great. You're a great little trooper. <laughs> Bless you. Welcome back to the Curiously Specific Book Club, the podcast that's curiously specific about dates and locations in well-known books, presented by me, Lloyd Shepherd, and you, Tim Wright. Timmy Trooper. <laughs> Timmy, Timmy the Trooper. This is part two of our South London exploration using Angela Carter's Wise Children as our guide, a book that spans over 100 years of show business in the UK. The business of show. Yes, particularly in South London. Yep. The story of Dora and Nora Chance, yep. twins, identical twins. Identical twins. That's important because yeah. they share lovers without telling their they lovers do. sometimes. Yeah. Naughty. Naughty. It's basically a memoir of their life and their terrible father, Melchior, and his twin brother, Peregrine. Lots of twins. Lots of twins. It's all very reminiscent of Shakespeare. Lots of Shakespeare references. Um, Huge but not, of Shakespeare in a, references. not in a high art way at all. I think she does talk about this, Angela Carter, in some of her interviews, about the idea that she thinks that Shakespeare is very much a man of the people. Oh, yeah. That's her picture of him anyway. Yeah. And, and her picture of Shakespeare plays is very much about them being full of life and sex yeah. and... Comedy. Um, Mixed-up identities, quite a lot of gender-bending that goes on in her books, and a lot of fantasy, a lot of what she wouldn't call magical realism. I was going to say. A lot of rather yeah. extraordinary It's not magical things. realism. Yeah. There's some sort of unrealistic, sort of fairy tale things that yeah, happen. Absolutely. There's a lot of fairy tale stuff goes fairy on. tale musical theatrical performers yeah that's comedy, what she likes. situations she, she did pieces. say that she said this book is obvious really that it's a story about two showgirls and showgirls is the most obvious metaphor for women in general mm. of having to put on a performance to an adopter persona in order to gain power and authority in society and to use their sexual power in particular mm. and, they're, and they're treated abominably by men yes yes Particularly their father. Yeah, but um, by all the men are pretty rubbish, aren't yeah, they? Ab absolutely. There's a very good piece. It, she has an affair with a 
writer in a, in the states while she's making a movie in the states. Irish. It's very clearly F. Scott Fitzgerald. Yeah. Terrible drunk. Yeah. They're all a bit rubbish. If they're not evil, they're rubbish. Yeah. The well, he's also terribly coercive, isn't he? So, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We should emphasise after all that, it is terrifically funny. It is. Book. It's fun. And, it, uh, yeah. it, and fun, which is even more meaningful when you think that she knew she was dying while she was writing it, which we talked about in the first episode. Yeah. Which gives it just another level of poignancy. But it is very funny and very fun. Yes. And the, the two main characters, Nora and Dora, are just brilliant. Just so fantastic characters. They are. But at the end of the book, we're seeing them on their 75th birthday. Mm-hmm. And their father and and uncle mm. are um, 100. Yeah. And they're going to their 100th birthday party. Yeah. But we're going to start, because we, we spent part one hanging around Kennington and Brixton. Yeah. And part two, we're going to go to Clapham. Yeah, we're going, we're going, having we're going a look the around there, and we're going to not look at cinemas and theatres so much. There's a haberdashers there is mentioned because above it is a dancing school where yeah. Dora and Nora learn to dance they and learn sing. To dance and clap them. So why don't we go there and see if we can learn to dance and sing? Yeah, maybe too late. Never too late, lovey. I could. Dance nightly just holding you tightly, my sweet. I could one, two, three, hop. See me dance the polka. Once upon a time, there was an old woman in splitting black satin, pounding away at an upright piano in a room over a haberdasher's shop in Clapham High Street. And her daughter in a pink tutu and wrinkled tights slapped at your ankles with a cane if you didn't pick up your feet high enough. Once a week, every Saturday morning, Grandma Chance would wash us, brush us, and do up our hair in sausage curls. We had long brown stockings strung up to our liberty bodices by suspenders. Grandma Chance would take firm hold of one hand of each of us, then, ho, for the dancing class, off we trot to catch the tram. Oh, you did a frowny face at the end. Yeah, well, she says, we always took the tram from Brixton to Clapham High Street. I have problems with that statement. Are we going to discuss that later? Okay. Well, we're, op- we're on Clapham High Street. We're opposite Jeanette Fashions. Yeah, I, I don't There's know why There's quite a lot you... of young men with souped-up cars on Clapham High Street today. I don't understand why you remember Jeanette Fashions so well. Uh, I remember it so well because I used to live uh, just up from here in Stockwell, Clapham North, and my wife and her best friend used, we... to, used to go in there. They, actually, they, used to find it, they used to find it really lovely. You used to go and yeah, shop, yeah, and shop I've just Because there's a sign in the window saying the haberdasher shop is now closed right. after the death of the owner. And I've just texted them both to say to say it's closed. And Jeanette's they both gone. replied around and gone with, with sad faces. Oh. So that's why I know about it. And that was in 1990, so that was 32 years ago. So quite conceivably been there for quite a long time, I would say. You see, I lived here from sort of 92 to 95 you don't on Edgley Road off Clapham Street. You remember the pub? But you don't well, obviously, I was in such a hurry to get to the railway. <laughs> Actually, to be fair, because I lived on Edgley Road on the back, I wouldn't have come down the high street. I would have come around the back, back here, here Voltaire down Road, Voltaire yeah. Road, and then and in the pub Voltaire, that way. Yeah, it's near the. It's on the junction of Voltaire Road and Clapham High Street. Yeah, I'm glad we came today because if we come in a month's time, it may not be there anymore. Well, we uh, did sound like a couple of old gits uh, walking down the high street, going, yeah. "Oh, that's gone. That's not there anymore. Oh, that's still there. Marcos yeah. is gone. Yeah, ah, the Maharani's yeah. still there. It was two old men walking down the street, wasn't it? Yeah. 
but it, it's yeah. still, it's Two still brewers are still there. Yeah, no Blockbuster. Yeah, that went a long time ago. That's now <laughs> Leyland STM. Happy evening spinning oh. Blockbuster rowing with your wife about what you're going to watch that evening. Oh, no, with your kid about, right. are we watching a kid's movie or are we allowed to watch yeah. something else? For anyone under 30 listening to this podcast, <laughs> Blockbuster Video was. <laughs> I want to say that Netflix ended up buying it up, didn't it? Well, Netflix was originally a DVD rental service. Wasn't it was it? a Blockbuster so, thing. So they bought Blockbuster. Yeah, yeah. So, hey, kids, if you li- you wouldn't have your Netflix without Blockbuster. Without Blockbuster, yeah. Anyway. You wouldn't have your Blockbuster without. So we think a dance school over the yeah, top of the haberdashers and the railway. Century building above it, isn't it? With high windows. Mm. You can I imagine like, a dance school up there. Absolutely. Well, the reason why I'm completely buying it is I live in an ex-pub. You do. Yeah, and after it stopped being a pub. It was a dance school. Yeah. In the, in the top floor. So there you are. Above a pub. Pubs and dance schools, they always go together. Well, there is, in Streatham, there's a big pub down there that had a dance school, proper ballroom dance, dance class right. up above the pub there. Pratt's yeah. and Payne. You know Pratt's and Payne? I do. There's a dance, still a dance school above wow, there. Okay. So maybe it was a Maybe a it was thing. something about the, build, the types of buildings types they of bu- built for pubs. Well, they had nice long, floors. big rooms, I yeah. suppose, for drinking bars at the bottom and dance bars at the top. Yeah. Very good. You see what I've done there? Very good. I like that very much. <laughs> That's very good. So, Miss Oberon, tell me, how were you first cast by Sam Goldwyn? Well, um, Sam saw me in a picture called La Bataille, a French picture. And I was invited to dinner at their house, Mr. and Mrs. Goins. And that's when he asked me if I knew about The Dark Angel. And I said, yes, it was my favorite picture. And he said, I want you to play in it. He said, but just as you look now with no makeup on, which surprised me, because I thought um, the only value I had was with a lot of makeup on. And that was my first picture with him. And then he made, then he wanted to sign me under contract. And I was under contract to Alexander Corder. So they finally decided, I don't know how, but they decided to share me. We said in part one that there were so many show business stories, yeah. real life stories yeah. and personalities. Inspirations for... Yeah, that are in this book. Yeah. It's so allusive yeah. about not just Shakespeare, but about people from music hall film, theatre. It's, it's, it's amazing, right? And then so when you start checking them out, you just go down rabbit holes after rabbit hole about these extraordinary people. We t- rambled on for 20 minutes. <laughs> and so we've decided we'll carry on. We'll carry on. Well, we'll chop it in half. We'll chop so, it in half. So you only have to endure 10 minutes in each yeah. part. So uh, we're going to hear the second part of that conversation right now. If you support us on Patreon... You'll get links to all these extraordinary stories that we mm. found over the web and elsewhere. And it's quite a rich vein of stuff. You'll have a fun time looking up all these characters from British Music Hall. Even theater. more interestingly, I can also give you a link to South London tram maps oh. of the 19th century and the complete history of the 137 bus route. OK, should we just get on with the show business <laughs> stuff? Well, there's two women I was looking at as models for Nora and Dora and actually models for some of the female characters, yes. the actresses. The first one was Gertrude Lawrence. Oh, uh, who we've who, talked about We've before. talked about before because she had you know, a, a, a fling with uh, Daphne du Maurier. And she, uh, Daphne du Maurier's dad. Uh, and Daphne du Maurier's dad. Not exactly. at the same time. Sort of the sort of similar <laughs> vibe going on. Yes. The other person I, was, I, I became slightly obsessed with was Merle Oberon. 
Yes, you did, didn't now, you? Now, the reason, the reason Merle Oberon's interesting is that the, one of the central pieces of this book is they go to Hollywood in 1937 yes. to be in a film production of A Midsummer Night's Dream. There was a very famous film production of uh, Midsummer Night's Dream in 1935, a real one, in which Titania was played by Merle Oberon. Uh, now, Mel Oberon is absolutely fascinating. She always told everybody during her life that she was born in Tasmania. She was actually born in India. She was raised as the daughter of Arthur Terence O'Brien Thompson and his wife Charlotte Selby, who was a Eurasian, so she was mixed race from Ceylon right. and also had Maori ancestry. But Charlotte Selby wasn't actually her mother. Her mother was Charlotte's then 12-year-old daughter, Constance. Oops. So uh, she was raised as Constance's sister, but she was actually Constance was actually her mother. Right. So it was an extraordinary story. Anyway, they travelled around India and, and all sorts of places, and then she ended up in Paris seven years before Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah. She arrives in England and is working as a club hostess, okay. playing in minor and unbilled roles in various films. Uh, and then she met Alexander Corder, and he went ding dong. Yeah, and, it's all uh, right. And uh, he started giving her lots of lots of roles. And then, of course, famously, she was in Wuthering Heights. With oh, the other yes. great theatrical knight that we should talk about. Larry. Larry. Dear Larry. <laughs> Sir Laurence Olivier. Sir Laurence Olivier. So uh, I heard uh, that Merle Oberon, she insisted so strongly about her Tasmanian roots that in her older age, she was invited she was by invited the government of Tasmania to go and give a talk or something. 1978, yeah. <laughs> she, uh, she agreed to visit Hobart for a Lord Mayor reception. <laughs> and the Lord Mayor became aware shortly before the reception there was no proof she had been born in Tasmania. <laughs> but they went ahead. And when she showed up, she denied she'd been born in Tasmania. She said it was all... I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know what I'm doing I don't here. know why I even accepted your uh, offer. <laughs> uh, so during her Hobart stay, she remained in a hotel, gave no interviews and did not visit the theatre named in her honour. <laughs> Fantastic. That's very good. She's very good. So Laurence Olivier, of course... Dear Larry. I think if you're reading this book and you're talking about a Shakespearean actor that's the of one the that's 20th jump century, to mind, he's isn't the it? most famous one, isn't he? Yeah. And I, what I did like, that in his dotage, Melchior starts doing television adverts. He does. And they think they, think they say do it for cigars and things like yeah. that, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Which is very Orson Wells, actually. Oh, yeah. More, San, more than Sandy Lawrence Port. port. Oh, Paul Masson wine. Paul Masson. Have Masson, you seen the clip? Paul Masson's California carafe. There's a terrific clip on YouTube of the outtakes of him turning up seemingly quite drunk yeah. to do this Masson advert. Yeah. They are very funny, <laughs> very funny. Yeah. But Laurence Olivier, he didn't do that many TV ads, but he did do them for Polaroid oh. in the late 60s, early 70s. Wow. He got paid an enormous amount of money for, at the time. He insisted that they film in France because that's where he wanted to be. And he also put in the contract that these adverts must never have been shown in the UK. Oh, well, they did I that don't... a lot, didn't they? That's why a lot of Hollywood actors ended up advertising whiskey in Japan, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. Because it was like, they didn't want to be doing it. But they're online, and he's very, very... He's trying to give his full Lawrence Olivier gravitas to a Polaroid Instamatic. <laughs> now, look, I do need to offer up one more. One more. But I found some twin identical twin dancers. Oh, very good. Yes, who were uh, of the period, yeah. of the 1920s. Yeah. They're called the Dolly Sisters. The Dolly Sisters. Rosie Dolly and Jenny Dolly. <laughs> they were in the Siegfield Follies when they were very young. Yeah. Are they English? Uh, no, they're American. Oh, uh, okay. They're American, but after World War I, they moved to France. And they took out a chateau. They had enough money to buy a chateau. Yeah. 
and they toured the theatres and dance halls of Europe. I'm getting this from Wikipedia. Yeah. And were courted by numerous wealthy men and royalty, including Carol II of Romania, Christian X of Denmark, <laughs> well. and Alfonso XIII of Spain. Wow. They were very, very famous across Europe. And they did play the Moulin Rouge. And the other thing they were world famous for was they were massive gamblers. Oh. They loved going to casinos and horse tracks. Yeah. They won $850,000 in one season oh, at Doville, Doville in the 1930s. Wow. Jenny Dolly became legendary for her winning. She won 4 million francs one evening in Cannes. Wow. Yes. They sound great. She converted into a collection of jewellery. She then went on to win another 11 million. So when did they, when did they die? I mean, when did Jenny Dolly had a terrible car accident oh. and had to undergo all kinds of surgery to kind of recover her looks and stuff and yeah. then got incredibly depressed and ended up hanging herself in 1941. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. So then Rosie Dolly retreated from public life after her sister died. Mm. With no children around, she spent her remaining years doing charitable work for children. Oh, they were from Hungary originally. They were Hungarian immigrants to America. Right. She went back to Hungary, and then um, she tried to kill herself in 1962. Oh, God. Unsuccessfully died of a heart attack in 1970. Awful. Yeah, so they had amazing... That's quite grim. Real... Yeah, but they're right... No, fireworks. Just... When you can see a picture developing before your eyes, blooming in minutes into a photograph as real as life itself, it makes you eager to grab hold of the world. Almost effortlessly, the SX-70 slips through life, searching out, recording. Press the button. There it is. It's as simple as that. Polaroid's SX-70, land camera. Downstairs was carnival. True, there was a serious kitchen, but there were also violet and marigold walls and scarlet paintwork wrote Susanna Clapp of Carter's Clapham Home. A kite hung from the ceiling of the sitting room, the shelves supported menageries of wooden animals, books were piled on chairs, birds, one of them looking like a ginger wig and called Carrot Top, were released from their cages to whirl through the air, balefully watched through the window by the household salivating cats. Free range, said Angela. Yeah, very good. Who wrote that? That was written by Susanna Clapp, but it's an article about Angela Carter's Carnival London Home in the Guardian but, by but Alison was, Flood. It was quite Angela Carter-esque, though, wasn't it? Well, yeah, writing. that's right. Well, we're standing outside Angela Carter's house. It's got a nice blue plaque, and it's um, uncanny, isn't it? It is very interesting. Uncanny. Very interesting, because it's been done up. I imagine it was a bit disreputable when Angela Carter lived there. Yeah. Sounds like it was falling down a bit. It's obviously been very expensively restored because it's very, rather, rather, rather gleaming now. Yep. But it is exactly the same <laughs> in all sorts of ways as 24 Lambert Road. It's yep. got a basement flat. It's got a bay window on the upper ground floor. Yeah. It's got attic rooms. In fact, yep. it's got a loft conversion by the look of it. The, we were laughing because it faces to the kind of northeast. Yeah which is exactly where you would be looking to see Westminster Abbey. Which it says in the book you can do from the top floor. And in fact, on a the other side of the road, road, conveniently, there's a sort of lower terrace that means that even with that great height and then the lower terrace, you'd see right across. 
So if she's writing in that top room... Well, it says here in this article that she wrote The Bloody Chamber, all her fairy tales, Knights at the Circus and Wise Children were all written here. <laughs> she could have seen Westminster Abbey from her writing room. So she's done an Ishiguro Whilst on also us. tutoring her then-student, now Nobel laureate, Casio Ishiguro at a kitchen table. Oh, very good. Very good. She actually tutored him. Yeah. In how to not do research. Just have to sit in your room <laughs> with a few books. Look out the window. Don't have to worry about Look it. Look out the window. Perhaps, actually, if he was coming from Sydenham, yeah. he, she might have asked him to make a few notes on his way through. <laughs> <laughs> you going through Brixton? Just keep a diary, will you? Any, any notable buildings? That would be that's, useful. That's the furthest he travelled to do any research, is it? Come to Clapham from Sydenham. <laughs> Pretty I good, can that. imagine her reading a book about Brixton Theatre Land in the 1920s and 30s. Yeah. In her upper garret room, looking at which from which you can see Westminster Abbey, and that's all you needed that's to do. Needed to we do. didn't need to do all that bus ride stuff that's nonsense. That was a waste of time. Um, she was busy in there entertaining Salman Rushdie, Ian McEwan, and J.G. Ballard were all around her place. J.G. Ballard, yeah. I bet he was a life and no, soul. Wasn't well, he? I think they were quite good friends. Well, Salman Rushdie was a. I mean, he wrote her obituary in the, the New York Times. Right. He describes her as a very good friend of his. He describes Wise Children as her finest book. And it is a great book. It is a fantastic book. But not 100% specific no. in locations and dates. Well, the thing I like about this location, she was an, I was her neighbour for a year. Yes. Just around the corner on Wandsworth yes. Road. Yes. I had, no, I had no, no, no idea. I'd probably seen her. Yeah. And she was very ill at the time. And the her. description of Melchior Hazard with his wa- long, wavy black hair. Yeah. She must have seen you down the shop. So you're one of the Hazard brothers. Yeah. The inspiration for it. She probably just looked out the window and said, oh, well, he looks nice. I think I'm more like Puck. So uh, were there any other famous people living around here? Ah, yes. Well, because there's another blue plaque to uh, a woman called Dorothy Dean. Yes, that's right. Who was right. an artist, model and actress oh, in the I 19th noticed, century. The one I noticed that was tickling me, Yeah. because I'd, I'd never heard of it, is Natsumi Soseki. Okay. You, you know him well? No. Well, I didn't know him either, but he's so famous in Japan as a novelist that his head appears on the Japanese 1,000 yen note. Oh, wow. He's one of the great Japanese writers. Okay. Natsumi Soseki. And he lived in London for a while. He's not one of the detective crime thriller writers, is he? No, no. It's more he got popular because of his portrait of the Japanese society and stuff. He was very into British novels, and he wanted to come over to... London to get a bit of British culture. Yeah. Uh, when was this? Early 1900s. The Japanese government paid for him as their first Japanese English literary scholar to come and stay in London. He had a miserable time. He says, The two years I spent in London were the most unpleasant years in my life. Wow. Among English gentlemen, I lived in misery like a poor dog that had strayed among a pack of wolves. Ooh. Well, a pack of wolves is very Angela Ooh, Carter. Very Angela Carter. Company of and he lived, on, he lived on this road. Wow. Just down the road. But unhappily. Good to have discovered him. I'd never heard of him. Well, I think this is a great find. It looks like 24 Lambert Road, but it's rather more uh, refined, I would say. Yeah. Well, if you took that house and plonked it in SW2... It would look like 24 Lambert Road. We'd be all right. And it, wouldn't wouldn't like, it wouldn't look like that for much longer either if you plonked in the no. SW2. But it's nice that she had flying birds in there and a the sort kite. of carnival spirit. Yeah, wooden I think spirits, wooden I think that's animals. quite fun. She Very loves good. that kind of thing. And yeah. a red-headed cat bird. She goes on and on about Perry's red he- hair. Oh, yes. Yes, that's so right. a bird called Carrot Top. Yes, that's Must right. Must have inspired Peregrine. 
I guess who's so. Who's got a bird's name? Just thought, yeah, there you go. It's a falcon. Yeah. The questions that I ask myself, I think they're very much to do with reality. I would really like to have had the guts and the energy and so on to be able to write about, you know, people having battles with the DHSS. But I, I haven't. I've done other things. I mean, I'm an arty person. OK, I write overblown purple self-indulgent prose. So f***ing what? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Rain came and settled at the window. April showers. The 23rd of April. Yes, the destination of Melchior had been prepared for him since birth. He was doomed to wear the pasteboard crown. Hadn't he first seen light of day on Shakespeare's birthday? Shakespeare's birthday. Shakespeare's birthday, April the 23rd, 1564. There we are. Yeah. So Shakespeare... Traditionally. Yeah. No one really knows when his birthday was. No, but that's when it's celebrated. That's when it's celebrated. That's when it's celebrated. Yeah. As we keep saying, there's a lot of Shakespeare in this book, but fun Shakespeare, not So serious. the book kind of opens with their birth, right? Yes, their birth. So uh, we're going to try and date when the book is set. Yes. So when do you think it's set? Which year do you think that she is writing all this in? Well... And looking back from... Hmm, well, from what she says, I think it has to be 1992. Okay. That that's when the 100th birthday of Melchior is. Okay. My only evidence for this is they too, the twins, Dora and Nora, are born on Shakespeare's birthday, yeah. April the 23rd. And they also mention that they were born on a Monday. Mm-hmm. So if you look at Mondays, 
that are the 23rd of April, Mm -hmm. around that time of the First World War, it can only be 1917 that they were born. Then you throw forward, and they're meant to be 75. Yeah. Um, it's in 1992. It takes you to 92. That's where I'm at with it. What have it, you got? Well, it, it's interesting. You've hung your entire theory on the date. On the facts. On the date, date, and... On the uh, facts. Date, date, and year match, which I would put to you that Angela Carter didn't worry about such fripperies. Anyway, she makes it very, very clear that it's 1915 that they're born. Why? Because she says, the war began that August. Mother was vomiting. Uh, the war began in 1914. But there is another date. Yeah. Well, there's two other dates, actually, that, to confirm my theory. Come on, I'm then. going by what the book says, Tim. Uh, they, they go and see Lady Be Good. So that's all wrong. Mm-hmm. They go and see Lady Be Good for their 12th birthdays. Yes. Right. But Lady Be Good didn't hit the London station until 1926. Ah. Right. So uh, she's got that, she's wrong, got that wrong. But they do go to Brighton yes. at age 13. Yes. Which in my contention would be 1927. I mean, I and they talk about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, yes. which was released in 1927. Uh, so, well, well. <laughs> well, I think the unalterable fact is you can't really argue when the First World War started. It definitely started in 1914. Well, she's done, the th- she's done that thing. She's done that thing. She's done a Riley. She's done a Riley. Which is, she's mentioned a day of the week a when hugely, she shouldn't have done. A hugely admirable writer who we love... Beyond all loving. I know. Has put a date in. <laughs> so she's not being very specific. Well, I tried she's got to find the date of the First World War, right? <laughs> Just about. <laughs> in terms of dating, if we're trying to say, so what references are there to 1990 or 92? Mm. There, there aren't any, are there, really? No. Well, the big think? news of 1990 was Margaret Thatcher's resignation. But she doesn't have any. It doesn't, doesn't that do sort any of, book. of that stuff, right? It's not that sort of book. She's not really interested in contemporary stuff. No. Now, I did find that her, their perfumes, these yes. twins, they have their signature perfumes, don't they? They're bought from Bon Marche. Yeah, and one of them wears Shalimar, yeah. and the other wears Mitsuko. Yeah. These are both very real. They are, yeah. And uh, I, I, I knew that without looking it up. Did you? Of course I did. They're famous. Are they? Yeah. Okay, so who makes them? I don't know. <laughs> it's Guerlain. Guerlain. The famous perfumier, French perfumier, Guerlain. Yeah. Okay. Wait, both of them? Yes. They're both from Guerlain. They were both invented in the 20s. Mm-hmm. The Mitsuko one, I like it on their website. The name that means mystery in Japanese is also that of the heroine in Claude Ferrer's novel La Bataille. Mm. Caught between the oath she has made to her husband, the powerful Admiral Togo, and her secret love for an officer from her country's enemy camp, Mitsuko nobly struggles against her heart's desires. Inspired by this woman, Jacques Guerlain created this subtly androgynous, yet wildly feminine, sheep. How could it be subtly androgynous and wildly feminine? I love descriptions of perfume. Yeah. They make no sense. To lend it incredible modernity, the perfumer combined the fruity, velvety spiciness of peach accord with the woody scent of patchouli for the first time. Well, this daring combination with the taste of a forbidden fruit makes Mitsuko a groundbreaking avant-garde fragrance and the symbol of a strong femininity that dares to reveal its masculine side. What? So it's it's a nice perfume that smells a bit like a bloke. Yes, but I think that's all in spirit of the book, isn't it? So in terms of date, we know it's we know it's Shakespeare's birthday. Yeah, we know these events all take that nearly. All, I think every chapter. 
is a birthday, isn't it? Yeah. A birthday event across their lives. Yes, indeed, yeah. So it's always April the 23rd. We can say that. It's it's always always well, there, there, April the Shakespeare's 23rd. birthday reference is too strong to ignore, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, it's absolutely yeah. bang on. Yeah. So I don't have any other contemporary references. I was hoping that it was 92 because the other person I mentioned before was Betty Boothroyd in 92 became Speaker. Speaker of the House. And she'd been a Tiller girl. And I've looked up the Tiller girls. They were still going in the 90s. Did you know that? No. Nope. The Tiller girls listener, you probably would recognise them. They, they were known for sort of lining up arms around shoulders and doing high kicks. Yeah. But actually what happened was they had a relaunch, they had a reunion. They called themselves the 60s Tiller girls. Right. And they basically, somewhere in the late 80s, they got back together, a number of them, all in their 50s and 60s, mm-hmm. and they started doing a show. And it was popular enough that they carried on doing it. And do you know where one of their appearances was during that time? No. Seven Oaks School. <laughs> what, in the late 80s? Yeah. Why were they appearing? <laughs> that is, wow. Yeah. I'm slightly blown away by that. Yeah, yeah. I'd left by then. Oh, you say that. <laughs> I don't remember that. You don't remember that, I tell you what, though, if that happened, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that my mother would have been there. She would have absolutely loved that. You need to check that out with your brothers as to whether anybody knows. Seven Oaks School. It would have been the Seven Oaks Summer Festival, which was kind of an arts festival. Okay. It would have been that. Unless they were doing an assembly. A bunch of (laughs) 50-year-old women doing high kicks on the stage. Yes, I don't think boys would have been watching it. I think there would have been local parents and grandparents. They carried on until their late 60s and early 70s. I tell you what, though, if it was at Seven Oaks School, it was probably in the school theatre, which means I have shared a stage with the Tiller Girls. You're in the business of show. <laughs> aye, aye, come here. <laughs> Thanks very much. I expected more, but I'm satisfied. Now, you don't know what to wear this weather, do you, lady? It's raining again, ducky. You all right in here? That's right. You'll be all right. Stay where you are. I know exactly what you're saying to yourselves. You're saying to yourselves, why is he dressed like that? I'll tell you why I'm dressed like this. I'm a commercial traveller and I'm ready for bed. <laughs> now listen, the last time I played this theatre, I cracked a joke and somebody told the manager. They're not entitled to do that. It's jealousy. And how do I know? Because as a rule, he sits in the box and tonight he's not there. Now I'm going to crack the same joke, but don't you laugh because if you laugh, he'll know it's rude. Now I'll find out where he is. I think he's round the back. Now don't move and don't go out. Don't you go out till I come back. Nora, a mother at last, at 75 years old, and all laughter, forgiveness, generosity, reconciliation. Yes. Hard to swallow, huh? Well, you might have known what you were about to let yourself in for when you let Dora chance in her ratty old fur and poster paint, her orange Persian melon toenails sticking out of her snakeskin peep toes, reeking of liquor accost you in the coach and horses and let her tell you a tale. I've got a tale and a half to tell, all right. Very good. Coach and horses. So the, the, whole, the whole narrative is being told to some poor sap in the, in the coach and horses. That's, that's the idea, that's I the guess. That's the idea, yeah. Yeah. So there is a coach and horses. And we're, there is we're sitting a coach and horses. Which is it, good, isn't it? Because it's actually just off Acre Lane. Yes, and therefore quite near Lambert Road, as yes. we said. So as a tr- And then the other end of Acre Lane is the uh, cinema and the theatre. Absolutely. So this is a nice little 
map we've got going I here. I think, I'm not quite sure this would necessarily be her local, although maybe it would. It probably be, would have been pub, aren't there pubs on Acre Lane that would have been closer? I used to drink in the Hope and Anchor. Right. Which is a sort of bigger... Well, maybe that's why she was avoiding it. You were in there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was about the same time. It was a bit noisy in there. It would have been about the same time. <laughs> it would have been. Oh, look out in there. Oh, can you okay, imagine? Yeah, up the road. Thought, oh, there's, there's a load of young Oxbridge types who think they're really cool because they're drinking they're Brixton, Brixton. Yeah. and they're being a bit loud. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, that's probably fair so enough. So we're ending, we're ending in this pub because you were in another pub in 1990. <laughs> yeah, any any pub I would didn't frequent yeah. would be a better pub. That's very good. So I do you, have a... I, so I you've got skid in the game. So I influence the topography of the novel. Yeah. Just by your very presence. Yes, <laughs> yes, I'd say so. <laughs> I like that. It's great. And you and you did the same with your interest in a haberdashery. Uh, with my interest in haberdashery. Oh no, you by walking past her house every day. Well, I was lived around the corner from her. She in, was, uh, yeah. In, uh, she said, "Oh, that dark-haired theatrical type. He'd be good for a <laughs> dark-haired story for a novel." <laughs> the man who seems to be waiting for a tram that never comes. <laughs> <laughs> That's my life, actually. <laughs> so, given this is a novel of magical realism. Is it? Well, I don't really buy that. cite that as it's got whiffs of it. I it's not, it's not as kind of crazy as uh, Marquez or anything like no, that. No, it's got whiffs of it, hasn't it, I suppose. There's quite a lot of unfeasibly uh, passionate sex between very old people, so maybe yes, that's the that's magical reason. quite extraordinary, yeah. yes. But we've found a number of locations that kind of work. Absolutely. She's clearly got a picture in her head of yeah. uh, the places we've been. She strikes me as somebody who would go to the pub. Uh Angela Carter? Yeah. Not very much so. Yeah. Well, there's some writers you get a sense they wouldn't go to the pub. Yeah, I think she's probably... Uh, I noticed that um, Grandma drinks creme de month, doesn't she? Oh, yes, I can imagine Angela Carter enjoying a creme de month. <laughs> or even a, um, an absinthe. You can imagine her in her house with some friends drinking absinthe. Looking what does at Simon Rushdie have to, He'll be a fine burgundy, yeah. wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah probably. Decent, decent <laughs> Showing all our prejudices here. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. <laughs> Yeah, no, but it's good, a good adventure. So if you want to come on around on a Brixton walk, this is a good one to use, I think. It really is. And do come to Brixton. It's a great place. It's so we've done Peckham and Brixton now. Hmm? This is quite, we've done Peckham and Brixton now. I know. On this podcast. Wonderful. I, I, Very good. I, I love Brixton. I've loved walking around it, and I've loved understanding what some of these old buildings are. It's just been, yeah. it's been great. Our rebels now are empty. These are actors, as I foretold you, but all spirits and are melted into air, into thin air. And like the baseless fabric of this vision, the cloud-capped towers, the gorgeous palaces, the solemn temples, the great globe itself, Yea, all which it inherits shall dissolve, and like this insubstantial pageant faded, leave not a rack behind. We are such stuff as dreams are made on, 
and our little life is rounded with a sleep. I don't need to go on about this. I'm giving this book for its artistic rating because we do two marks. We yeah. do artistic rating and yeah. we do Q-spec rating for yeah. whether you're at all, as an author, interested in dates and locations. Yes. Okay. So for artistic rating, yeah. it's a 10. Really? Solid gold 10. You really enjoyed it. I don't need to explain myself. What other books have you given a 10 to? None. I don't think I've given any 10s before. So it's your first 10? I think it might be my first 10. Okay. I just... It's just a great book. Yeah, I, would a, agree, I, I would agree with you. I love it. Yeah. I absolutely love it. I it's enjoyed, funny. Loved, it's loved sad. reading it. It's human. It has lots to say about families and uh, siblings and parent-child relationships. It's got a, the panoply of all these sort of funny show business stories. Mm -hmm. It travels around to America at one point, but it's also about their grandparents in, touring around in Australia. So it's got sort of global reach in a funny kind of way, even though it's quite local around being Brixton. It, the, the voice of the narrator, Dora, is fantastic. It's shocking at times. Uh, beware, readers, there's sort of almost incest at the mm -hmm. end and a 100-year-old man having rigorous sex with a 75-year-old woman. <laughs> rigorous enough to shake the chandeliers. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's great. Because it, and, you know, well, that's transgressive as well, isn't it? I mean, yeah. stuff like that is, is brilliantly transgressive. And, yeah. and you can't pigeonhole her at all, I don't think. No. I mean, people try to say magical realism. And I'm just like, well, it's not. No, it's She's not. her own thing. She was her own thing as an individual, clearly. And this book is, I mean, I'm just going to, it's one of those books that just makes you want to read everything she ever wrote. And, yeah. You know, because it was just so good. It is and the, that you know, good. The way, the way it sits in her life is, is so uh, poignant. So, yeah, no, I would agree. I think okay. it's uh, there's not a thing I don't didn't like about it. I mean, even the TV stuff is kind of interesting because it's so weirdly naff and not of this world. The TV stuff—it's like the TV stuff is the alien element, right? You know, the mainstream TV stuff is alien to this world, and that's yes. why it feels a bit off. I think I, so, perhaps I didn't like it because of <laughs> if, now I go to my Q spec rating because yeah. we're just doing ten and ten, aren't we? Or ten and ten, ten and ten, solid twenty. That TV show that the. The next generation bloke, I can't even remember his name. Uh, Tristram. Tristram hosts. Yeah. And it's called Loads of Lolly, yeah. I believe. And it's got a spinning wheel. Yeah. So that's clearly to me a reference to The Price is Right. Yes. Come on down. Come on down. Leslie Crowther. Yes, Leslie Crowther. So dating problem. Right. Because it doesn't really matter whether it's 90 or 92. Yeah. The Price is Right had finished by 1990. Right. In fact, it stopped being on ITV in 1988, and then it had a sort of a little bit of a go in 89 on Sky. And also, even if you say it was on Sky, I don't believe that Dora and Nora had a Sky dish. <laughs> I don't believe they did either. <laughs> I don't think they were big sports fans. <laughs> Nora, it says here we should buy a Sky dish. Why? It's football's on. Football? No, I don't see it. No, don't I don't see, see it, it, right? Okay, so what are you saying for her Q-spec rating? Because you've got the year wrong, so obviously she... she, she, she There's she, demerits for she, that, isn't there? Well, you got the year wrong, not her. No, she said Monday. <laughs> she said Monday. <laughs> sir, sir, she said Monday. It's I not just, my fault. So you're taking a mark off for the Monday? Yeah, I yeah, am, okay. definitely. Oh, yeah, I might even take two off. So it's a nine? I think you've got to take one off for the trans as well, haven't you? Yeah, the trams. Are, now, yeah, you're not happy happy with that, are you? I'm not particularly happy with the trams thing. No, no. So because so, you take the train from Brixton to Clapham, if you were doing that, you wouldn't get the tram. No, exactly. <laughs> so come on, what's your, what's your number? Give us a number. Eight. 
You're holding it to an eight. Yes, okay. because you know she she cares and doesn't care. Yeah, she, I agree. She cares enough to make a very realistic, oh, sorry, believable panoply of dates and places and yes. the people. And she clearly, I think the, the major thing she gets wrong actually, because the performance of Lady Be Good, Fred and Adele, is so central to their mm. wanting to be in the theatre. Yes, but she's got the date completely wrong. She's got the year wrong. I probably would have gone ten for it because I just think she's really good at the settings and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So I'm going to go for a nine. Okay, I'm going to slightly give her a higher mark. Okay. Uh, you're I still am burning. imagining what you're still Andy burning Carter date. would say to listening to a podcast. Two well, guys I, I think I, worried I, about dates and locations. I hope she'd. Get, I think there'd be several f bombs. Well, I, I had a slight run in with someone on Twitter this week on our Curiosity Spec account because you put up the little video you made about for for uh, Rivers of London when you said you know this house can't be the house, it can't be the folly, it can't be the house, you know. Yeah, and um, you know you you kind of hope that anybody listening to this knows that we are doing this with a. A, hu- a huge degree of um, uh, unseriousness, you know. We, we, it's, it's like the whole the whole thing is a you know is a is an elaborate gag uh, that we're involved in. And somebody it- replied saying uh, it's called fiction. Oh. Oh, that, that was their reply. Oh, so I replied to them saying, "Good morning to you too." And um, you know, you can't get away with good that morning on Twitter to, anymore. Good morning to you too. People don't uh, take that. Kind try of listening sarcasm. to the podcast anyway. So it's, it's so I hope Angela. Oh, I hope you if she's listening, a Twitter fight. Angela boy. is listening, obviously wherever she may be, and I hope she realizes that a that we loved the book and that that comes clear, yeah. and b that our uh, messing about with dates and locations is the joke is on us. It's not on you. Well, I, I think we exemplify the tragedy of patriarchy, don't we? We that absolutely we're just a do. A couple of numpties who are just sitting in a basement arguing about timetables. We've, we've got nothing better to do. That's where men have led us. It's the tra- ma- That's where our male psyche has led us. If we adopted another kind of gender or persona yeah. rather than the yeah. inherited one from the patriarchy, we wouldn't be down here doing it. <laughs> we wouldn't be. We wouldn't be doing a podcast. We need to say our usual thank yous. Yes, it's the gratitude section. <laughs> Do you keep a gratitude journal, Tim? Well, obviously, the first person to say thank you to, as usual, is the artist learning music for our theme tune. Yes. You can Basically find it loop. on the free music archive. Trebek's Lament. That's right, yes. So please do support them. I'd also like to add, we haven't said for a while how we seem to use Wikipedia quite a lot. We do. I make a payment. You, I make a payment. You, you monthly make a payment. payment. Yes. And may I suggest, listener, that if you're using Wikipedia, you make a payment. If you value the, uh, in the digital commons. Otherwise it won't be there. Yep. One thing I noticed in listening through this uh, episode, a link that I just want to mention. You know, I banged on about Mitsuko Eau de Toilette. Yes. And it said that Mitsuko is a character from a novel called La Bataille. Yeah. Did you notice that your your squeeze Merle Oberon says in her interview that she was noticed by Sam Warner because she played Mitsuko in La Bataille, the film? I didn't notice that. So there's a link between the perfume... and internal connection. ...and Merle Oberon. You could have done that as a quiz. Not bad, eh? And we could have given away a prize. Yeah. And my... only other thanks in terms of the uh, most of the music I got uh, I get from the web archive so it's old 78 RPMs and I did go to YouTube because there were some archived editions of the good old days I know we are amazing (laughs) and all that sort of sing-along stuff should we explain to a non-British audience what uh, the good old days is unbelievable isn't it (laughs) you know it was it was performed in Leeds yeah and it's basically 
that the audience had to dress up in Victorian period costumes. It was a television programme. And pretend, yes, it's a BBC, a mainstream BBC television programme. 70s and 80s. Well, actually, you'll be surprised by this. It started in 1953. Wow. And it didn't finish till 1983. Pretty amazing. 30 years. I really associated with growing up. Yes. So it was very, very popular. There was a guy called Leonard Sachs who would introduce each uh, act yeah. with, with a very sort of flowery it's prose. Like half an hour, wasn't it? It was quite a, it was a... And then quite famous artists would dress up in music yeah. hall outfits and do old do songs. Turn. Do a turn. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Over 2,000 performers throughout the show, including Hattie Jakes, Roy Castle... Roy Hudd, Ken Dodd, Barbara Windsor, Eartha Kitt. Can you imagine Eartha Kitt doing the good old days? <laughs> All of them singing, you know, down at the old bull and bush. <laughs> da, 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 da. What an extraordinary idea. Very strange. And uh, we continue in South London. We do. We're uh, taking another book out for a walk in South London. In fact, we're going a little bit further out this time. Okay. We're going out into the suburbs, Tim. We're going mm. to a place that you had never been before. I know. A place as strange as Bromley. That's right. I was excited. I was excited before I went. <laughs> so come with us. Come with us to Bromley. To Bromley. <laughs> Selling it. Gateway to the south. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast. And I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher. Because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> 